Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Democratic U.S. Representative Earl Blumenauer announced yesterday that he will not seek re-election next year. The Democratic lawmaker from Portland was first elected to Congress in 1996, and he is Oregon's longest-serving member in the U.S. House of Representatives. But when he started in Congress, he was already a veteran politician, having served in the state legislature, the Multnomah County Commission, and the Portland City Council since the early 1970s. When you add it all up, Earl Blumenauer has represented Portland-area voters in one way or another for half a century. Representative Blumenauer joins me now to talk about his career and his decision to not run again. Welcome back to Think Out Loud. Thanks, Dave. Why stop when this current term is up? Uh, Good question. Uh, I think it's pretty clear we're going to be in control of the House of Representatives next time, and that's attractive. But I truly think that there are better ways that I can spend my time. The House is increasingly dysfunctional. I've been uh, on airplanes 14 hours a week forever. Uh, I have a family that I have neglected a little. It was time. I have to say, I didn't, maybe this shouldn't be surprising, but it seems like this is an emotional decision, an an emotional thing for you to talk about right now. Yeah, it is. It's... Yep. What are you thinking about right now? Well, I'm looking forward to making the transition. I've been kind of overwhelmed by people who've responded, who think I made a difference, and uh, and they've got ideas about things I can do going forward. Um, I was texting Ken Burns as I was walking in. It's it has been a remarkable opportunity. Um, but I no longer feel that for me that that's the best way I can make a contribution given my commitments to other commitments to the community and my family and things I want to do. Hmm. I don't want to spend countless hours. I mean, if I ran for re-election, there would be, you know, four or five people would run because they think now's the time to take the old guy out. I would beat them, but I would have to spend hours uh, doing campaign stuff, which adds no value to my life. Hmm. Um, the first thing you said when I said why now is that you're pretty confident the House will stay, that you'll regain the House. I, I'm, I mean, do you think your calculus would be different if you represented a swing district? It might if I if my staying in the House made the difference to Democratic control, but that's not the case. There are some really terrific people who will run in this district. It will be a thoughtful, progressive person. I'm quite confident. And so I'm kind of a free agent in hmm. terms of that responsibility. Um, and I've made clear to the Democratic leadership, to the governor, that I'm, I'm going to be all in for the next 14 months I'm in office and then look forward to working together just not politically uh, for me on the ballot. Hmm. I want to turn back to your first elected office, uh, 23 years old, when you were elected to the House of Representatives, the, the Oregon State House, among the youngest members ever. 
What goes through your mind when you think about that time now, arriving there in your early 20s, in the early 70s? Well, it, was an, it was an amazing time. I was privileged to serve probably in the most consequential term in Oregon's history. It was the last of Tom McCall's governorship. The Democrats took control and legislation that had been bottled up for literally for decades. We had the land use legislation, for instance. Uh, it was a, an air of possibility. And there were lots of young people in their, uh, maybe not as young as I, but they were in their 20s and 30s who added uh, a, a vibrancy to it. Um, uh, it was exciting, the p sense of possibility. How much of what you're describing now is a retrospective understanding of how consequential that was? And how much did you feel at that time? No, I was convinced at the time that it was very consequential. You could feel being a part of work. Uh, my first session, I had legislation to, that created a transportation commission and mandated a multimodal comprehensive uh, transportation plan that was 20 years ahead of the federal government. We were doing things like that in Oregon, and there was a sense that you were part of history, helping Tom McCall wrap up his legacy, and people starting a really exciting uh, political path. Why did you eventually want to make the jump from uh, statewide or state not statewide office, but state office to then the county and city level government to Congress. Why go to the federal government? Well, at that time, uh, we were really challenged. This was the Gingrich takeover of Congress, uh, uh, an agenda that was decidedly at variance with uh, our Oregon values and things I cared about. Just for my folks who, who missed the timeline at the beginning, this is, so that, that was the, the Republican Revolution, there was 94, and then we're yeah. talking about 96 yeah. when, when, when you ran in a special election. Yeah, well, they, they had just taken over in 95. I was elected at the last half of that 104th Congress. Um, and it was, uh, it was a scary time politically. It was a time of, of change. I thought I could help make a difference. It took longer than I thought to get in the majority, uh, but I was able to make a difference, I felt, from the beginning in terms of our portfolio of issues. Um, Given the, the glacial pace of Congress, I mean, it's always – not always, often slow. In the last year, it has almost nothing has happened. Um, but, but given that, and given the fact that you're always going to be one voice among 435, do you ever think about what you could have accomplished if you had stayed in local politics or in state politics? It would have been a different path um, and a somewhat smaller stage, but perhaps more impactful. I mean, I think the 10 years I spent as Portland's Commissioner of Public Works uh, managing the, these land use and, and transportation policies were consequential for our city and actually set the stage for some national activities. Um, but it, at that point, it seemed to me that the federal government needed to get involved with what we were doing and being able to take that livable community's agenda to Congress, being able to spread the word. I was described as the Johnny Appleseed of livability uh, campaigning around the country. Um, it, was a, it, was a, it was very exciting and I think consequential. It, uh, where? Where do you see the consequences? I mean, because what we're talking about are what, what you've been pushing for, for 
decades and decades is a, a very different vision of the way communities could be built and the way people can can get around. And there's a there are billions of dollars of, of infrastructure, built infrastructure and and just sort of sunken costs that that make our country a very car centric country. That's right. So where do you see movement? Well, just the last two years have been perhaps my most impactful in Congress. Uh, Peter DeFazio encouraged me to leave the T&I community that I really loved in transportation and go to the Ways and Means Committee to raise money that he could spend. And we've had a gusher of federal funding. The work that I did on the uh, energy provisions, this is the largest uh, reduction in greenhouse gas potential, not just in our history, but anywhere in the world. This is in uh, what the became known in, as the Inflation, Inflation Reduction, Reduction Act. Act. We had massive increases in infrastructure uh, that, uh, again, Peter's committee helped uh, uh, craft. We helped pass. And we're watching across the country things that are taking place that would have been inconceivable for bikes, for Amtrak, for transit, uh, for uh, the Biden administration is the first of five administrations I've worked with that is really committed to rebuilding and renewing America with a low carbon, equitable future. And things are really happening all over the country. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with Democratic U.S. Representative Earl Blumenauer from Portland. He announced yesterday afternoon that after serving in Congress since 1996, he is not going to seek re-election next year. I should note that the congressman's wife, Margaret Kirkpatrick, is a member of OPB's board of directors. I want to turn to cannabis. Will be. Will be. Oh. I think it's January. Incoming. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for that correction. Um, I want to turn to cannabis. One of the issues that you've been most publicly known for on the national level um, many states have obviously legalized cannabis. There's been a huge societal shift in the approach to the drug, first medically, then recreationally. But despite your efforts and many other people's efforts, uh, the there is it's still a Schedule One drug, and there have not really been banking changes. The House, uh, because of your efforts, is it seven times seven has times. voted to change that. The Senate has not taken it up. There's they shouldn't say they haven't taken it up. They have not passed it. It recently passed in a committee, but we'll see what happens right. from there. Is there any reason to believe, based on what we've seen for, for years now, even with societal shifts, that that Congress is going to make the kinds of changes you have been asking it to make for decades? Absolutely. And part of what we've been doing is a multi-pronged approach. I've been working on the congressional legislation. As you mentioned, we've had some progress. Uh, my legislation uh, last Congress was the first amendment to the Controlled Substances Act ever dealing with research. We have passed the Safe Banking Act. It's moving in the Senate. Uh, but just as exciting is what's happening at the state and local level. I've been involved with, I think, every state initiative around the country. It's been a tidal wave of action. Um, It is uh, really exciting to me to watch attitudes change. When I started this, it was opposed by a majority of the public. Today, a majority of Republicans support this, and it's like 70% of the American public support legalization, and if it's medical, it's like the 4th of July. I'm, I'm a patient guy. Meaning meaning uh, people like the 4th of July. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <Okay. laughs> Not that it's explosive. Right. Uh, I'm a patient guy. The things that I've worked on 
uh, take time. We're dealing with public attitudes. We're dealing with building infrastructure. We're dealing with changing laws. That's not something that happens overnight. Why has this been one of the issues that you have been most publicly in support of? What is it about cannabis that that makes you want to change federal laws? Well, it is an example of the federal government being so out of touch with the needs of the American public. The failed war on drugs has destroyed hundreds of thousands of lives, particularly for young black Americans. Uh, it has not been administered fairly. Selective enforcement literally has ruined lives. We have been, not been denied the therapeutic benefits of medical cannabis. Um, and it it was so inequitable. I am proud that we're watching this change. It's going to, it is changing society. It's changing health. It's a new era in terms of economic development. And the only reason that it is as bumpy as it has been is because the federal government has been out of step with what the American public wants. But, but we're going to change that. What was going through your mind in vote after vote of internal Republican squabbles, internecine battles this month, when various GOP factions kept tanking their own nominees for speaker? Well, I think it serves them right. I mean, they, are, they, they can't agree with themselves about why they want, want to impeach Joe Biden. Um, these battles internally don't need to continue. And I think this is... Uh, perhaps the beginning of the end of Republican hostage-taking and such a destructive... It's going to be bumpy for a while. It's going to be rough in the Middle East. It's going to be rough with Ukraine. It's going to be rough being able to get on track financially. But I think this is something we have to go through. But it was painful to watch and completely unnecessary. What do you think is better, what do you personally like more, um, having no Speaker of the House and having nothing get done, or having someone that Matt Gates um, has called MAGA Mike Johnson in charge of the House of Representatives? Well, it's not possible to continue without a Speaker. It you mean you, you can't do anything? You can't do anything. And there are things that have to get done. Um, Johnson, I think, is uh, sort of exposing the dark underbelly of the Republican agenda. I mean, he is anti-choice. He uh, was an election denier. I mean, he is out there on so many things. Um, and I think that it's going to force a reckoning. Almost everything I propose is bipartisan. I have great relationships with the governing wing of the Republican Party. I'm proud of that. And they are beside themselves. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time before it, it melts down again. Uh, it will make it much more likely that Democrats control Congress and the American public understands the stake. What's, what is the, um, your political read there? Why do you think that having Mike Johnson as speaker or, or the, the, the unsuccessful votes before him to get a speaker, why do you think that is going to lead to voters punishing Republicans at the polls? Well, I think they're watching the dysfunction. Now, it's papered over a little bit with Johnson because he was the lowest common denominator they could vote for. And all of a sudden now people are discovering who this guy is, what he believes, what he's done. 
uh, that's out of sync with the majority of Oregonians, but the majority of American voters. And it's out of sync with many of my Republican colleagues. I think it's going to lead to a day of reckoning that ultimately we have to have. I want to turn back closer to home. What's it been like for you as a, a lifelong Portlander and, and one-time, long-time city or county leader to see Portland become a kind of poster child nationally for our country's, two of our country's twin social ills right now, homelessness and fentanyl overdoses. What's that been like for you? It's been painful. You're well, I, on the, the Central City Task Force. What, what do you hope will come from that? Well, let me just say that Governor Kotak, and I, I think I've worked with five governors now, has been more engaged with helping us in our local community than any governor. I've had great relationships with them, uh, but Tina has really zeroed in. She understands the challenge, and she's put herself out there. It's probably also fair to say that, that no governor that you've worked with has presided over a state at a time when, yes. when Portland was seen as, as, as yes. much of a mess it is, as it is yeah, now. Ab- absolutely. We've, we've been sort of a poster child of success, uh, and now it's the opposite. So what should happen? What, what are the fixes that, that you think would be meaningful? Well, I hope that we can focus on opportunities in Portland particularly, but also in the metropolitan area, where we can start making a difference. There, I'm, I'm working on 82nd Avenue. We have an opportunity to take that street, the number one transit street in the system, and be able to revitalize it and have um, thousands of housing opportunities. The Lloyd Center is a tremendous opportunity for redevelopment. Um, uh, Montgomery Park, OMSI, getting these in order, showing progress, attracting investment, I think will be key to encouraging international investment in our downtown again. Have you ruled out running for local office again? I don't think that's in my future. I've been there. I don't think that's where I add the greatest value. I'm, I'm to the point now where I think people recognize that I may have some reasonable thoughts and opportunities to try and help. I'd rather be a resource working on uh, the revitalization of our city, uh, deal with Portland State and Portland Community College, um, uh, helping in terms of navigate some of these uh, problems with housing and, uh, and addiction and dysfunction. Um, I think my experience may give me a voice that I can help contribute. I don't pretend that I have any magic solutions, but I do believe in magic buck, buckshot on a series of steps that can help make a difference, and I'm going to try and influence the conversation. Earl Blumenauer, thanks very much, and congratulations um, on 50 years of public service. Thank you. Earl Blumenauer is a Democratic U.S. representative from Oregon's 3rd District. He announced yesterday he is not going to seek re-election next year.